Well, I wanted just to uh, share a little bit, um, and <clears throat> they can put me up there on the on the thing. Um, I want, first I want to share like this. I believe uh, these four things I just want to hit on are very crucial to every Christian. Okay, for us as our stability as Christians. Okay, and and, and I call it the four streams of the gospel. Y'all know I'm in the fours. You know, like you know, the four rivers in the Garden of Eden, the four dimensions of God's love, the four faces of Christ, the four spiritual seasons. And, you know, Matthew's had me reading this book called Waking the Dead. It has four streams of something. Yeah. yeah I, hadn't kind of, I hadn't finished the book yet. It's a great book, by the way, if you want to read a, a tremendous book. But I believe these are like the four aspects of the gospel that I, I, I just want to just... The, number one... The death of Christ. That's the first aspect of the gospel. And here's a scripture, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. That's a very important aspect of the gospel that we all need as a reality in our life. Second aspect of the gospel uh, is the resurrection of Christ. Okay? Jesus didn't just hang on the tree and die. He, he came out. And, it's, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, Watchman Nee wrote a book on this called The Life That Wins, on this verse. It is a tremendous... I would suggest that book to anybody if you can handle Watchman Nee's uh, way he communicates. It's pretty brutal. That's, the, that's a painful truth book. <laughs> but Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Um, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. And I want to say this, of is the literal Greek, not faith in. Okay? I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's another aspect of the gospel, living the crucified life where, where Christ himself lives his life in you and through you. It's, you know, what we call the grace message. And, and, and that, is, that is crucial just like the blood of Jesus is crucial to you as a Christian for your stability in life. If you're not walking in this, then you're missing a big part of the gospel. All right, the third part of it, you're missing a quarter of it at least, is I call this the rest of the gospel. The exaltation of Christ. The exaltation of Christ. Acts 3.33 Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. In other words, uh, not only is the blood important because Jesus died, not only is living the crucified life important because Jesus was raised from the dead, the filling, the outpouring of the Spirit, the Pentecost experience is crucial because Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. You got that? Very, very crucial. And that's why every person, every Christian has the right, if you will, the legal right to get filled with the Holy Spirit for one reason, not because of how you've acted, not because of The reason is, Jesus, you have been glorified, therefore you've poured out the Holy Spirit in the earth. And because you've poured out the Holy Spirit, I can get filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, whatever happens to you, you know, speaking in tongues or prophecy or power to witness, you know, all the things that the Bible shows us are outcomes of people being filled with the Spirit. It's the power aspect of our Christian life. Amen? Very important. Now listen, 
a lot of my Christian life, I've lived in elements of these three. They were like three keys. And then in the last year or so, these things became solid in my life, I feel like, where I was really walking in it. But I feel like the Lord showed me there's another aspect of the gospel that we've all got to really see and understand that is just as important as the other four aspects is this one, the second coming of Christ. And that's out of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. Uh, Paul said, If in this life only we have in Christ, hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. We are of all men most pitiable. Um, it's like four legs on a chair, those four things I just shared with you. There's four, four aspects. It's like you sit down on a chair that's got three legs. What's going to happen? You shift your weight the wrong way. And I believe that. See, you're going to fall. That's right. You're going to fall off and be embarrassed. Here's another scripture, 1 Corinthians 11:26. And this is our communion scripture. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, that's the blood, till He comes. Till He comes. So every time we do communion as a church, it's not about, oh, I've got to get my heart right because I'm going to go up here and drink this juice. You know, everybody does. Yeah, we should. You know, you don't want to be doing, you know, with, with a wicked heart. But we're declaring something. We're declaring that Jesus is going to return. You hear what I'm saying? We're declaring that. See, I think the church has gotten away from that in some ways. Every time all right, when I said that, I believe all four of these aspects are needed for us to live full lives as Christians. I really feel like they're like the foundation, the st stabilizing influence on us. Now, here's what I've seen, okay? This is what I've seen in people's lives, and we've all seen it. Have you not seen a person get saved, truly saved, truly born again, but they never took that next step of living the crucified life. They were saved. If they got ran over by a truck right that moment, they would go to heaven. Right? But they never really allowed the Lord Himself to take control of their life. Amen. So they were like what we would call a carnal Christian. They were saved in the sense that they had been forgiven, they had trusted in the blood, the blood had washed them, but Jesus wasn't living His life through them. Have you known anybody like that? I mean, and so, you see, that's a sort of a, a tragic thing to happen in a person's life. Or we've seen people get saved and then get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know, come up speaking in tongues, you know, you know, all this stuff, but their lives are wrecks. Their lives are wrecks. They go from one thing to another, just trying to get this experience with God because they're lacking this thing called the grace of God operating in them. They have, you know, their lives are very fruitless in lots of ways. Or we've seen people who've gotten saved, they've jumped, you know, they never thought about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, never thought about the grace of God, they never thought about allowing the Lord to have control of their life, and they jumped over and all they talk about is the end times. You know, have you ever been, been around, when I was growing up, I grew up in a very religious world. All the Christians around me were religious, and they were ones who experienced salvation, but they jumped into this religious ideal about the end times, and they'd sit around and talk about the end times, and, and I'd be so turned off by it because I felt like, man, you guys, y'all ain't Christians. I mean, when I was a kid, that's what I think. Y'all are not Christians. That's not what's in the Bible. Y'all are jerks. Y'all are doing, you know, y'all are out. You know, you go to church on Sunday morning, you go outside the church, and you're drinking and smoking and beating your wives and cussing and carrying on, and then you talk about the Lord coming back and about the end times and... I was real turned off by that. So I got real turned off about the whole end-time theology out there, you know. And then you turn the TV on. I remember when I first got saved, 
I'd go home. I'd go to church on Sunday night. I'd go home, and get into bed, and turn the TV on, and listen to this guy preach about the end times. Every week he would put this chart up and say the same things over and over and over. And I'd sit there. That is not the truth. And I was not even so hardly saved, you know. I was thinking that is not the way this is going to work. That ain't what I've read in the Bible. So I was just like, you know, I don't want to hear about the end times. Forget it, because there's such a so much perverse stuff out there in it. And I was like that, really and truly. I believe the Lord's coming back. You know, Jesus is going to return and all that. But I just didn't want to leave that to these kooks over here and let them just act like a bunch of kooks over this stuff. It's the way I felt about it until this fall. And I have shared over and over with you this experience I had with the Lord. And then part of that experience was a dream that I had prior to this experience where the Lord came to my house. And... You know, the Lord coming to your house was, it was like the most fearful thing that ever happened in that dream. I mean, you, the, the fear of God was so powerful in my life. It was like, you know, it was like this. The Lord's coming. I've shared this with you, but I, I just really want to convey how it really felt one more time to you because it's such a powerful thing. The Lord was going to come into my house and visit Becky. And I was sitting out on the deck. And I went in, and we were scared to death because we realize the Lord's coming, and if He wants to, He may just take Becky on with Him. And I was totally helpless to say a word about it. Totally. Because I knew God Almighty is coming. And whatever He wants to do, He's going to do it. And it was pretty much like this. Byron, you don't even have a, a say in this. There's no discussion. Okay? And, the, and, and I, we, I, we was, I was in there hugging her and kissing her and... We were just loving each other just in case. That was the last time I was going to see her. That's the way it felt. And there was this fear on me that was incredible. And I knew instinctively I could not be in there when the Lord came. And again, I did the same thing. There's no discussion. Lord, can I be in there? You didn't even bring it up because He was coming and He's in charge. And I believe that's the way it's going to be when the Lord comes uh, and visits people. Here, you know, the Lord's going to come and get in between the closest relationships there are on earth. Between a man and a woman. That's the closest. And the Lord wants in between that relationship. He really wants in between that. Every relationship, God wants to be in between it. Every relationship. And I believe in the visitation on the earth before the Lord returns His literal second coming, one of the things we're going to see is we're going to see the fear of God released into the church again. Where God is coming, and I don't give a rip what anybody says. It's basically, and it's like y'all ain't got, y'all don't even have a say in this matter. I'm coming. This is what we're doing. Get with the program, you know. And we're going to do it because the fear of God is on us. And He is going to come in between us. He's going to come in between you and your wife, you and your best friend. That's what He wants to do, and that's the only way relationships can ultimately work is having the Lord Himself in between you. You got that? Amen. There you go. Thank you, Lord. So I believe that was, that was part of the thing. And, but then I had this experience with the Lord uh, the next day where the Lord took me and uh, revealed His heart to me. And, you know, I'm not going to go through that again as tremendous as that was. I would love to go through it again over and over and over because I think about it all the time. But one of the things when I came out of that experience was this. There was something behind me that wasn't behind me before. And it was like a dark cloud coming. And I feel like that dark cloud is, is uh, you know, the birth pangs. No, it's not the devil. 
but the devil is going to use that. Okay, it is it is the move, it is the end time move, the end time things that are coming into the earth, and I believe the Lord wants us to realize that He is coming back. The Lord's coming back, and it could it could be you know any time. I'm not I don't want to talk to you about when He's going to come back, but I believe we need to have as Christians a solid foundation in our life about the return of Christ. I believe it really will affect us spiritually and help stabilize us, just like the fourth leg of the chair. And it's really been, in my life, a real hunger and a real passion and a real desire. I'm talking about a real one. I'm not talking about something made up and we'll go study about the end times, rah, 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 you know, in your brain thing. I'm talking about something in my heart that desires to know what does the Bible really say about the Lord returning? What really is? What's really going on here? And it has really helped me spiritually uh, to know this. Now, here's something, what I call the way of the Scripture. I'm sure that's probably some exquisite theological term uh, about this. This is interesting. Biblical statistics about the, the end time. Now, this should, this, I mean, you know, being an engineer, you look for things like why. Uh, there's at least... 318 references in the New Testament concerning the second coming. At least. I can't, there may be more, but there's like, I guarantee there's 318 because I counted them. Because I have a Bible program that does stuff for you. Okay? So there's at least that many. Okay? Now, there are 216 chapters in the New Testament. That's a fact. I guarantee you that. Count them. Okay? 216 chapters. On average, this is an average, one out of every 13 verses, or every 13 verses, or every 13 verse, in the New Testament concerns the second coming of Christ. One out of 13. One out of 13. Now, when I thought, when I looked at it, I thought, my gosh, you mean to tell me in the New Testament one out of 13 verses has something to say, mentions the second coming of Christ? Don't you think that the Holy Spirit's trying to say, you know, that's sort of an important thing if it would keep coming up that much? It's sort of an important thing for you to, to really to know about. Uh, in the epistles, I'm talking about forget the Gospels, forget, you know, Acts for a minute. One out of every ten verses address the second coming. One out of every ten. So it starts narrowing down. Uh, so there's 27 books in the New Testament. Again, that's a fact of life. Twenty-three of these books address the second coming. 23. It's interesting, some of the books that don't. One of the books that caught me was Galatians. It has nothing in there about the second coming, book of Galatians. And I think the reason is because they were so fleshly and carnal. It was like, Paul was like, man, you know, these guys are so messed up. I can't even talk to them about the second. I've got to get them fixed up just to get through the day. You know, I think there's different reasons for stuff. But here's something that I read. When I first got saved, I used to hear this term, Maranatha. Okay, remember that back in the Jesus movement days? Maranatha, what is that? I remember asking God, what in the world is this Maranatha stuff? There's even churches named Maranatha. And it, mean, it literally means this, our Lord come. So back in my young day, that was a thing. Our Lord, you know, Maranatha, the Lord's coming soon. Everybody believed God, Jesus was coming back. It was sort of a thing that was thrown out there. Uh, and then you had these crazy preachers on TV, you know, perverting the whole, whole thing. But this is something I wanted to read to you. I read from a book called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. It's a real good book. If you want to, it's one of these books like this, Systematic Theology. But he's a, like a spirit-filled theologian. And we use that book, well, not that one, but his, he has a more condensed version in Christ's School of Ministry, a Bible doctrine. It's really good. This is something that he said that really, when I read it, convicted me. 
Uh, he says, Do Christians, and in, fa- in fact, eagerly long for Christ's return? The more Christians are caught up in enjoying the good things of this, of this life, and the more they neglect genuine Christian fellowship and their personal relationship with Christ, the less they will long for His return. On the other hand, many Christians who are, expect, or who are experiencing suffering or persecution or who are more elderly and infirm and those whose daily walk with Christ is vital and deep will have a more intense longing for Christ's uh, return. To some extent, then, I want to emphasize to some extent, the degree to which we actually long for Christ's return is a measure of the spiritual condition of our own lives at the moment. Now, that's convicting, isn't it? The degree, you know, to some extent, the degree which we actually long for Christ's return is a measure of our spiritual condition at that particular moment. So what it said to me, am I longing for the return of Christ? Am I longing for it? And if I'm not, why am I? Why am I not, Lord? Why am I not, like, echoing what Paul said, Maranatha, Lord, come. Return, Lord. Why? You know, they talked about it so much in the New Testament. Why is it not something that's been real in my life? I think, you know, and it's not a condemnation. I think some of it is because we've been repelled, like I was saying about by the religious attitude that people have had. You know, they've gotten so into it, yet they were cruds in the way they lived. Um, you know, and then some of it has been like the, the per- perverse teachings on it out there. Oh, yeah, the Lord's going to return on X date. Everybody quit your job and go in this particular place. You know what I'm saying? And, and, it's, and it's turned us off. But think about it like this. Every one of those things, the blood of Jesus, okay, the grace of the Lord, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all those things have been attacked hard. And the devil has not wanted us. I mean, he, you know, people will trample the blood of Jesus. They will trample it. The Bible says that. People will trample this grace message. Well, you know, you know I, can, I can sin, you know. <laughs> you, know here, you know, should we sin that grace might abound? I don't have to do anything because, you know, if it's God doing it in me, I do nothing. Uh, you know, tongues are from the devil. You know what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? Those four things have been attacked over and over and over by the devil because he sees that they are critical to us as Christians. He sees they're critical that we have this, these things that sort of undergirding in our lives to make us healthy Christians and whole Christians and be able to live our lives in this day. And I believe that's why we have perverse teachings out there on the end times. I believe that's how, why we have religious people that are, are messed up and it makes us go, ooh, no. You know, but you see, God has been trying to communicate this even through books that have bad doctrine in them like, you know, those, whatever, what's the name of those books? Those Tim LaHaye books? You know. Left Behind, I mean, those books have terrible doctrine in them. But they're, you know, God, you know, was trying to get a message out. And people have gotten saved through those books, but I don't believe what they're teaching in them. Teaching us is really the way things are going to work. But that's, they're just, you know, fiction. And they don't claim to be doctrinal books. But I do believe, I really do believe it is imperative for us, for our health as Christians, not only to love the blood, not only to love the grace message, not only to love the filling of the Holy Spirit, to love His return and that be a part of our lives that we think about and it motivates us and it governs us and it directs us. It's biblical. It's got to be. If one ever, ever 13 verses in the New Testament talks about it, then God is wanting to communicate it to us. And we've got to get away from the perversity of it and get to the truth. Are you all with me? 
So, let me give you a couple of things. I got in so much trouble recently. I ain't never been. I knew I was on something good here. This was a bad thing. This was a bad thing. And they said, would you come over to MCA and you know, do the chapel? This was a couple months ago. Yeah, over at the high school. So I thought, yeah, I'll do that. Well, actually, when they called me, they called me at the worst time. I thought, man, I ain't doing that. I was in a bad mood that day. I'm thinking, the last thing I need to go is try to talk to somebody the next day. I was in such a bad mood. But I told them I would in a moment of weakness. <laughs> but I was really praying, Lord, I don't want to go there. You know how you go. The kids are saying, oh, that's some preacher. You know, we've got to sit there and listen. And you just don't want to do that to them. You want to go in there and say, Lord, I really want to go say something to them that's going to help them. I want to go tell them something that's real. Yeah. It's got to be real, Lord. It's got to be something that's going to affect them. Tell me what I should say. I'm just not going to go pull some thing up out of my mind. I really want to know. I want to tell them something you want to tell them. And this is what the Lord clearly said. Why don't you talk to them about the end times? That's what he said to me. So I just sort of took this thing and put together a little thing out of Revelations. A few scriptures here, a few scriptures there. And went over and shared it. And I thought it was really tremendous uh, until the next day. I got this call from the head of the school board and said, uh, they got trouble over there. Got parents mad about what you shared. You know, threatening to pull their kids out of school and they want you to come over there and talk to them. And I just said this, well, I'll go talk to them, but I ain't going to give them no comfort. Because <laughs> I'm not believing anything I said was wrong. I believe it was the Lord. And, you know, and I think what happened was, you know, some, they got some probably seventh graders over there that got scared. When I, I started telling them, you know, some things, what the Revelation said, they got fearful about it, scared about it. Of course, you know, I tried to tell them it's not for us to be scared. It's for us to really, you know, see these things are going to happen. We can be in on what God's doing. But, and then there were some people there that had these doct bad doctrines about the end times, don't want, you know. But I knew then this is something the devil doesn't want to talk about. That's how I took it. The devil don't like this. He's going to fight you over it. And uh, so, you know, it just made me dig in harder. That's really what it did to me. Uh, you know, and I felt sorry for them because they were trying to clean up my mess. And... <laughs> but you know how that goes. I've been cleaning up other people's messes for years, so I let somebody clean up some of mine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, I wanted to share a couple of verses with you right quick. And I've, if the Lord's willing, I, there's a lot that, the Bible talks about about the end times that can help us and I believe this listen this helps us now now I want something to help me today I, I don't need help when I get to heaven I need it today man I got issues I got to face today I mean I got a mean wife <laughs> I got to better deal with her just kidding but here <laughs> turn over to Matthew 24 and let's, verse 27 I want to read this to you and just share this with you because these there's a couple of verses in here that really have spoken to me big time. And this is one of them. There's two of them. One, another a parallel verse in Luke. Uh, and it's talking about the end times. And it says, uh, it tells us about the coming of the Lord. And it's, a, it's sort of an unusual verse. I, I, when I first started reading it and thinking about it, it says, For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So that's sort of one of the things that Jesus said, this is how you're going to know. It's like when lightning flashes from the east and goes to the west. And of course, if you know anything about lightning, you know it doesn't really work like that. Okay? 
It doesn't work like that. Lightning doesn't work. It didn't flash from the east to the west. So you think, well, something ain't right about that, Lord. Okay? But it ain't God's problem. The Greek word translated lightning. There's the Greek word, just for you Greek experts there. Can mean lightning, but it can have other meanings also, like the bright shining of a lamp in Luke 11:36. Same words used there about if your light is your body's full of darkness, or if you or if it's full of light, you know the bright shining of a lamp. So that word can be translated something besides lightning. Okay, now this is important, all right? Because Jesus spoke of a light coming out of the east and shining to the west. Guess what that is? Does anybody know what about a light that starts in the east and goes to the west? The sun. That's what he was... That, it could have been... He probably did not mean the flashing of lightning, but he probably was talking about the bright shining of the sun as it rises every morning. Right? Every morning. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west, and it will do that until the end of time. It ain't going to never change, and it does it every day. The day it doesn't do it, we're in big trouble. In fact, one time I remember I was in this, back when my other life was an engineer, I was in this big jam, and they had the, all the big wheels in this meeting, and I was the person that had to make this thing work, and it was losing literally over fifty or $60,000 a day. And they said, it's going to crank tomorrow, and I had this fix. And they said, how do you know this fix is going to work? And you know what I said? I was stupid. I said, well, how do you know the sun's going to rise tomorrow? That's what I said to them. They just sort of looked at me and said, okay, we're going to trust you. And I was saying, I went out and like, Lord, what did I do? <laughs> if this thing don't work, I am they going I'm dead. I don't have a job no more. I'm gonna starve. Fortunately the Lord bailed me out. You know? So the sun rises in the east and shines into the west. Okay? This is listen to this. As the beginning of a new day is brought on by the sun shining in the east or rising in the east and moving to the west and is unknown to late sleepers. Right? If you're asleep at 10.30 in the morning, you are going to miss the sun rising. Right? So the beginning, now this is important, the beginning of the coming of the Lord will be unknown to the spiritually asleep. It's going to be, un, that's what Jesus was saying. It's going to, when it begins, it's going to be unknown to many people. In other words, we're going to, the, the people who are spiritually asleep or the people who don't really know what the Bible really says about the coming of the Lord... They're going to be just like the people who are sleeping late every day. They're, the sun's rising. It's coming up. And it's not some wild thing. It's not some unusual thing. It's not some spectacular thing. And that's what Jesus says it's going to be like. Now, when I read that and thought about that, I'm thinking, my goodness, could the, could the sun, could the coming of Jesus be rising already? And I'm missing it. And I'm, I'm asleep like these late sleepers are. I like to get up early in the morning. And see the sunrise. But that, that's what Jesus was saying. Are you asleep? Are you asleep spiritually? And you could be. We could be. And be missing the signs of His coming. They could already be started and we're missing it. That's what Jesus was saying. That's the way it's going to be. Alright, let's look at the other parallel verse in Luke 17. Are you all with me? Luke 17. 17 verse 24. This is the same verse. Okay, it says, um, for, as, for as the lightning that flashes out of one, one part, which is not really in the, in the Greek, but it's good for explaining as, as it flashes out of one part under heaven, shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in His day. That's the same verse. Now, 
In this one, Luke does not record any geographical direction. Did you catch that? He didn't say from east to west, or west to east, north to south. He just said, as it flashes from one part of heaven to the other part. So in this, in this scenario, lightning works. Okay, it works. And I think this is another good way of looking at that. Okay, lightning is a spectacular event, right? I mean, it's spectacular when it happens. But it's not something that we consider to be highly unusual. Right? It's, it's, it's spectacular. Wow, you see that lightning. But it's, we don't think, it's, oh, it's lightning. You know, hey, what's the big deal? It lightens all the time. Look, the, you know, the weatherman can show you all the lightning strikes. Oh, that's no big deal. I mean, just as long as it don't hit you or set your house on fire. Okay? For those who are not looking for the day of the Lord, we could easily overlook some of the dramatic events of the day that are connected to the coming of the Lord. Do you see that? Just like we could easily, you know, there are some dramatic events happening in the earth. And because if we are still those spiritually sleepy people, we could overlook that these things are directly connected to Jesus coming back. Directly connected. In just a minute, I'm going to give you a real easy, a real classic example of how I believe we're missing a sign of His coming that's happening right here in the church. Okay, but did you, do you understand that, those two scriptures right now? So you see how easy it can be for us to not, that things can be happening all around us just like the sun rising every day, just like a lightning bolt that could be signs of Jesus coming and we could be missing them. You got that? All right, look, look at Luke uh, 21. I'm almost through, but I want Luke 21, verse 25 through 29. Are y'all okay? Y'all good? This is talking about the coming of the Son of Man. It says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. This is one cool thing. You know, the blood moon. Y'all heard of the blood moon? Some people call it pumpkin. They've changed it to pumpkin moons. You know, you know where the sun gets this, or the moon gets this real odd look. Sometimes it's like blood red. Well, they were, there was a blood moon recently. And in fact, it was right after I did that little message over at MCA, and I came back over there for something. A couple of the kids say, Did you see the moon? It was a blood moon. Did you see it? You know? Like, to them, you know, hey, you know, that's what the Bible says. The moon's going to be turned into blood. I mean, is that literally it's going to be turned into blood, or is it going to be a blood moon? I know them things have probably been going on for a long time, but they could really be signs been going on for a long time that the Lord's going to return. You see how easy? I'm not saying that is. I'm just saying that could be like the sunrise. Oh, there's a blood moon. That's right, yeah. You know, and that could be a sign of the Lord's coming, the sign of the end times. Okay, uh, where was I at? Somewhere. Luke 21, verse 20. All right. It says, And there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distresses of nations. We could easily all say that we've got that happening, right? With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Did you know back, I think it was back in August, September timeline, they had the worst recorded solar storms on the sun ever recorded. Now, they could have been some pre-technology but these were terrible storms. That's why your microwave acts up. It's these electromagnetic pulses that have been shot from the sun you know, like, were like several nuclear bombs worth of electromagnetic rays hit the earth 
uh, because, and they were concerned about these, you know, taking satellites out, and etc. These are things that are happening before our very eyes like the sun rising. You see what I'm saying? Anyways, uh, men's heart failing them from fear and the expectation of things which are coming on the earth. You know, back a year ago how the economy was, people were just messed up, man. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great darkness. Now, listen. Now when these things, listen to this word, begin to happen. Begin to happen. That's what he said. When these things begin to happen, look up. And what I believe is this. These things have begun. And Jesus is saying, you need to pay attention. The perplexity has begun. Signs have begun. Things have begun. And the earth... He didn't say, wait till, you know, the day I'm going to come and show, show up. Now's the time to look up. Now's the time to consider your life. Now's the time. Am I a wise virgin or a foolish virgin? And that's really what he's saying. Look up now. They have begun. We're in the beginning stages. It's time to look up now. It's time to put a focus on His second coming. It's, it's what I really read into that. You know, as the sun begins to rise, you wake up. You don't suppose to wake up at midday unless you're a teenager and you need more sleep, they say. It's true. Or you stay up all night, you know. Have you ever been in like in a motel? You know, we used to, back in my old job, you'd work. Sometimes you'd be in the middle of this startup and you'd work at like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning and then you could leave and you'd go to the motel because you was out of town and you'd get in the motel and you'd get in the bed and go to sleep and you know, and sleep for hours and wake up and you think it's the middle of the night because it's so dark in the motel room. Until you go open the curtains and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon the sun's blaring out there. You know, have you ever had that experience? I love, that's why I love about sleeping in motels is you could just sleep all day because you felt like there's no light could get in there. But that's where a lot of Christians are. They're asleep and the sun is shining. Things are happening. And the Lord's saying it's time to wake up. Well, you know, it's time to, to get up. And I believe having a biblical grasp of the end times and looking up for the return of the Lord are necessary for our spiritual health and well-being. I believe just like those other three things I shared with you, as we bring this into our life, we bring this as a reality in our life, our Christianity becomes more stable. It makes us more, you know, what the kind of Christian God wants us to be. As we bring this into our lives, and it's a reality, not some, some craziness. All right. Right here at the end. Look, turn over to Acts 2. And this is totally fascinating. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? And there is documented, uh, well-laid-out teachings in the Scripture that Paul did on the second coming that addresses key issues like the Antichrist. What's going to happen to unbelievers? What's going to happen to believers? What's going to happen to believers who are not really following the Lord. That don't, you know, the unwise virgins, the ones, you know, sleepy believers. What's going to happen to them at the end? Paul addresses those things. They're clearly addressed in the New Testament. First and Second Thessalonians are called the, you know, end time. They're like Paul's eschatology, which for all of us dummies, that means the end study of the end. It's an important study. But this is tremendous here. This Acts two seventeen. This is Peter's. Uh, um, you know, message on the day of Pentecost. And he was explaining, you know, everybody was drunk and acting in rowdy in church and speaking in tongues, you know, they got a big mess and he had to get up and try to make everybody understand this is what God's doing. And he said, um, this was what, in verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Pour out off. Uh, you know, just, just, just that word off is not in Joel's. If you take, you see what I'm saying? I think I've said that to y'all before. Joel says, literally, I'm going to pour out my spirit in the last days. Peter said, he throws that little word off because Peter knew this was not the last. You're just getting a little dose. Remember I told you it's like you got a whole glass of water and you pour the whole thing out? Uh, on the day of Pentecost, it was just like, shh, I didn't pour it all out. I poured out all of this. Do y'all see that? That's important, actually, because there, it means there's going to be an outpouring of God's spirit in the last times that are going to be unprecedented. It's going to beat this. It's going, he's going to pour the whole deal out then. I'm, hey, I've got, I poured out an inch out of this 10-inch glass of, of, of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I'm going to just dump the rest of it on the end. And it's going to be like we're going to get nine inches, you know, of, of that outpouring of the Spirit. I'm looking forward to it. Are you? And it shall come past and let that pour out of my Spirit. Go study that yourself and see if I, what I don't say is true. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy... Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders. Then he slams into this other gear all of a sudden. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now think about it, man. He's talking about prophecy. He's talking about dreams. He's talking about visions. And then he slams in and starts talking about these end-time other things, like the sun getting dark, the moon, you know, blah, 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 all the stuff it says here. So what we have in the church today, let me ask a question. How many people in this room, sincerely, have had have prophetic gift, have, you know, which would be words of nods, Exhortation had dreams, have had visions, have given other people words. Raise your hand. Every one of you, raise your hand. Keep them up. Now, ten years ago, if that question had been asked, you would have probably had two or three people that would say that they had that operating in them. You know, back ten years ago, it was just for like the main people. They were the main ones giving the prophetic words, and the main, you know, just a. The main ones, you know, and few people had dreams, few people had visions. But it's become a widespread thing in the church today. And it's going to, you know, we've seen these prophetic moves. God has raised up people, you know, Bill Hammond and, you know, that, that's that group in Florida. And then there's Morningstar and different groups where God has raised up. They're like, you know, promoting prophetic, you know. And it's been the Lord the, because the Lord's releasing the prophetic in the earth. And, but the thing we've got to see, it's a sign of the end. Just like those other things are signs of the end. So right here in the church, we got like the sun's rising. There's prophecy in the church. People are prophesying. Just regular old Christians are prophesying. They're having dreams. They're having visions. And we need to see that that is a sign of the Lord coming back. But if we're asleep and not seeing these things, we're going to miss that God really is trying to get us ready for His return. This is a sign of His return. All y'all who raised your hands, they're a sign of the Lord coming back. It says it there. He's coming back. But we're asleep. And we're not realizing, we're like the sleepy people. Oh, prophecy, that's, yeah, I don't like prophecy. Or argue about it or be messed up about it. It's a sign of the Lord coming back. And this is not a promotion for prophecy. It's a promotion to say, are we asleep? 
And God's got a son, the, the sun rising in the church. And it's happening before our very eyes. And He's trying to wake us up and say, I'm coming back. These are signs of my coming. They're not just because I want people to have prophetic gifts. I'm coming back. And as we get these things in our heart, it affects us. It don't affect us just, oh, He's coming back. I'm just going to lay around here and think about it. No, it's going to cause you to be the kind of person God's called you to be. It's going to cause you to be fruitful. It's going to cause you to repent. It's going to cause you to love the Lord. That's what He wants. That's what... And get the oil, you know, and get life in you. Amen? Okay. I think if we're not careful, we're, we will overlook the, fi- the fact that this is a sign. And that really... That one sign just... Hey, forget all the turmoil in the world. In the church we have a sign. Y'all raised your hands. You're a sign of the Lord coming back soon. You're a sign. And I want us to encourage us, you know, to pay attention to these things and begin to ask the Lord. You know, and I don't know when the Lord's coming back. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm saying I think we need to get grounded in the Word of God about Jesus coming back and make that a part of our theology, make that a part of our doctrine, make that a part of our life, just like the blood the baptism of the Spirit, and the grace of God is. Amen? And then, praise the Lord. Yeah, amen. Let's, let's ask the Lord to make this real to us. Lord, we don't want to, you know, just do stuff and not, it doesn't affect us, Lord. Lord, we want it to affect us. So thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you that, Maranatha, Lord, that's what we say to you. And Lord, we won't write believing on all this. We don't want to get into weirdness. and We're not looking for weirdness. We're looking for reality, Jesus. That's what we want. And we want to be real, Lord. We don't want to be like so focused on heaven that we're not doing the things you've asked us to do in this life, Lord Jesus. So I just pray for every person in this room. Matthew, won't you come up here and do what you wanted to do? You didn't want to do it, but I feel like that was really the Lord, what you said about what the Lord wanted to do for people this year. You know, what He shared, I really believe, is really the heart of God. Uh, so I wanted you to just pray that. And if anybody really feels, you know, what He said about, and I think this is a part of God preparing us for the end times, this thing about relationships, about connecting us up, Frodo and Frodo and Sam, yeah. God wants to do that in people's lives. He wants to put you with people. So I just really want him to do this, this. Well, Lord, we just ask you to release all the good things that you have for us this year, Lord. I pray that you would release um, the storehouse of finances for families this year, God. I pray that you would release friendships, genuine friendships in people's lives, Lord, that will be uh, long-lasting for a lifetime, Lord, that will be life-giving to their soul, Lord. God, we just ask you, Lord, to release those things in our lives, God. And I pray that you would remove hindrances from our lives that would cause us to not seek after those things, Lord. Just remove the distractions, Lord. God, I pray that you would heal people's hearts that have been wounded from friendships of the past, Lord. That they would be healed from those things, Lord, and that they wouldn't be afraid to get close to people. They wouldn't be afraid that what's happened in the past is going to happen again, Lord. So, God, we just, Lord, we just come to you as a church, Lord, and just say we can't make that happen, Lord. 
We can't make people close to one another, but Lord, You can. Lord, You can do it, Lord. And I know, God, that that's what you have for this church, is that we would be a fellowship, Lord. We would be in communion with one another. We would be in covenant with one another. We would know each other, Lord God, more than just a casual greeting in passing, Lord. So, Lord, I just ask you right now, just come before you boldly, Lord, and just ask you to do a real work in this fellowship. God, help us, Lord. Help us to be friends, Lord. Help us to um, serve one another, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.